Book Two, Chapter Ten of Clara Vaughan, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. Clara Vaughan, Volume One by R. D. Blackmore. Book Two, Chapter Ten. Although Anne Maples was not so very talkative, it would be romantic to suppose that Mrs. Shelfer had failed to learn my entire history, so far, at least, as her cousin knew it. Having now disposed of one Grove Street, I was about to try the same rude tactics with another, viz. that in Hackney, when my landlady gave a little nervous knock and hurried into the room. "'Oh, Miss Vaughan, is it about them willins you're wandering about and taking on so and frightening all of us nearly to death?' "'Mrs. Shelfer, I shall feel obliged by your leaving me to manage my own affairs. "'Bless you, miss, so I will. "'I wouldn't have them on my mind for the Bank of England, "'and Guildhall, paved with Lombard Street. "'And so I told Charlie last night. "'Right, my good friend, quite right, you may depend upon it.' "'Here she tapped her forehead and looked mysterious. "'That being so, Mrs. Shelfer, I need say nothing more.' "'And with that I was going away. "'No, no, to be sure not. "'Only listen to me, miss, one minute.' "'And I knows more about villains, a deal more than you do, of course, miss. "'Why, ever since that rogue who come to Miss Minto's "'with brandy-balls and rabbit-skins on a stick, "'once more, Mrs. Shelfer, I have no time to spare for gossip.' "'Gossip! No, no, Miss Vaughan. "'If you ever heard anyone say Patty Shelfer was a gossip, "'I'll thank you for their name. "'Gossip! A mercy on me with all I has to do, "'and the days drawing in so, and how they does charge for the gas, "'and the directors holds a meeting first Tuesday in every month, "'and fills up the pipes with spittle. "'That's the reason it sputters so, Charlie told me. "'Good-bye, Mrs. Shelfer. "'No, no, one minute, Miss Vaughan. "'You are always in such a hurry. "'What Charlie and me was talking about last night was this. "'My Uncle John, a very high-class man, first-rate, first-rate, Miss Vaughan, has been for ever so long in the detective police. There's nothing he don't know of what goes on in London, from the rats as comes up the drain-pipes to the queen getting up on her throne. A wonderful man he is. I said t'other day, is he like you, Mrs. Shelfer? Like me, my good friend? No, no, and I wouldn't be like him for something. With all them state secrets upon him, why, he daren't sneeze out of his hat. But if you'll only put off going again till to-morrow, He'll be here this very night about the plate they stole in the square, and I'm sure you can't do better than hear what he thinks about you. He'll be sure to know all that was done at the time. Bless you, he's got to make all the returns. What that is, I don't know. It's a kind of tobacco, Charlie says, and they smokes in the Queen's pipe. But I think it's the convicts as returns from Botany Bay. Well, Mrs. Shelfer, I'll think of what you say. I am much obliged to you for the suggestion, but I can't bear the idea of coming before the police again with a matter in which they failed so signally. But you know, my good friend, it need not be put in the books at all. He'll tell us what he thinks of it, private-like, and for the love of the thing. If I see him at all, I must beg to see him alone. To be sure, my good friend, quite right, Miss Vaughan, quite right. I'm sure I would rather have the plumber's ladle put to my ear than one of them horrible secrets. Mrs. Shelfer, have I told you any? Now remember, if you ever again allude to this subject before me, I'll leave your house that day. You ought to know better, Mrs. Shelfer. You are quite right, Miss Vaughan. I'll ask your pardon. You are quite right. The very words as Charlie said to me the other night, you ought to have knowed better, Patty, that you did. Away she went, smoothing her apron, patting the fray of her hair, for she never wore side-combs, and mumbling down the stairs. Quite right, my good friend, quite right. I ought to have knowed better, poor thing. 
She brought up my dinner and tea without a single word, but with many sly glances at me from her quick gray eyes. Once or twice she was at the point of speaking, and the dry smile she always spoke with fluttered upon her face, but she closed her lips firmly, and even bit them to keep herself in. I could scarcely help laughing, for I liked the odd little thing, but she was so free with her tongue that the lesson was sadly wanted. Late in the evening she came to say that Inspector Cutting was there and would come up if I wished it. Upon my request he came, and one look was enough to show that his niece had not misdescribed him. An elderly man, but active-looking and wiry, with nothing remarkable in his features, except the clear cast of his forehead and the firm set of his mouth but the quick intelligence that shot from his eyes made it seem a waste of time to finish telling him anything. For this reason, polite though he was, it became unpleasant to talk to him. It was something like shooting at divers, as my father used to describe it, for whom the flash of the gun is enough. Yet he never once stopped or hurried me until my tale was done, and all my thoughts laid bare. Then he asked to see all my relics and vestiges of the deed, even my gordit did not escape him. L.D.O., he said shortly. Do you speak Italian? I can read it, but not speak it. Is it commoner for Italian surnames to begin with an O or a C? There are plenty to begin with both, but I should think with a C. When all my particulars had been told, and all my evidence shown, I asked with breathless interest, for my confidence in him grew fast, what his opinion was. Allow me, young lady, to put a few questions to you on matters you have not mentioned. Forgive me if they pain you. I believe you feel that they will not be impertinent. I promised to answer without reserve. What was your mother's personal appearance? Most winning and delicate. How old was she at the time of her marriage? Twenty-one, I believe. How old was your father then? Twenty-five. How many years were they married? Sixteen exactly. When did your guardian first leave England? In the course of a year or two after the marriage. Had there been any misunderstanding between him and your father? None that I ever heard of. Did your father at any time travel on the continent? Only in Switzerland and part of Italy during his wedding tour. Your guardian returned, I believe, at intervals to England? I had never told him this. Yes, and at least I suppose so, or he would not have been in London. Did he visit, then, at Vaughan Park? Not once within my memory. Thank you. I will ask no more. It is a strange story, but I have known several much more strange. Of one thing be assured, I shall catch the criminal. I need not tell you that I heard much of this case at the time. Were you sent down to Gloucester? No, if I had been. Well, I will not say, but I was not then in my present position. Had I been so, it would have become my special department. Pray, keep me no more in suspense. Tell me what you think. That I must not do. Or you should know it at once, for my opinion is formed. It would be a breach of duty for me to tell you now. Oh, I cried in my disappointment. I wish I had never seen you. Young lady, you have done your duty in placing this matter before me, and some day you will rejoice that you did so. One piece of advice I will give you. Change your name immediately, before even the tradesmen about here know it. Change my name, Inspector Cutting. Do you think I am ashamed of my name? Certainly not. You have shown great intelligence when a mere child. Exert but a little now, and you will see the good sense, or rather the necessity, of my recommendation. When you have gained your object, you may resume your name with pride. You have given your information, Miss Vaughan, as clearly as ever I knew a female give it. If I detest anything in the way of small things, it is to be called a female. So I said coldly, Inspector Cutting, I thank you for the compliment. It would be strange indeed if I could not tell with precision what I have thought of all my life. Excuse me, Miss, it would not be strange at all in a female. And now I will wish you good night. You shall hear from me when needful. Meanwhile, I will take charge of these articles. 
he began in the coolest manner to pick up my sacred relics dagger casts and all indeed you won't i cried you shall have not one of them what are you thinking of he went on with his packing i saw he was resolute so was i i sprang to the door locked it and put the key in my pocket he said nothing but smiled now i exclaimed in triumph you cannot take those away unless you dare to outrage a young lady i was wholly mistaken he passed by without touching me drew some instrument from his waistcoat pocket and the door stood open before him all my treasures were in his left hand i flew at it and snatched them and then let go with a scream a gush of blood poured from my hand he had taken the dagger folded in paper only and i was cut to the bone i sank on a chair and fainted when i came to myself mrs shelfer was kneeling before me with her feet in a basin of water while two other basins and numberless towels were round mrs shelfer was rubbing my other hand and crying and talking desperately about her bad luck that day and a man with eyes crossed whom she had met in the morning in the background stood mr shelfer himself whom i had hitherto failed to see though i believe he had often seen me he had a pipe in his mouth about a yard long and seemed wholly undisturbed all right old woman he said deliberately through his nose as he saw that i perceived him she'll do now if you don't make too much rumpus and with that he disappeared and i had time to pity myself the hand the poor farmer used so to admire and which i was proud of no doubt in my way lay in a dishcloth covered and oozing with blood but my relics were on the table all safe a quick step was heard on the stairs and inspector cutting came in carrying a small file out of the way patty he cried you're doing more harm than good he took up a basin of cold water and poured half the contents of the little phial into it now hold her arm up patty as high as you can i never knew arnica fail my hand was put into the water and the bleeding was stanched in a minute or two however he kept it there for a quarter of an hour till it was quite benumbed now you may look at your hand miss vaughan it will not be disfigured at all there will be no inflammation patty fetch me some cambric and the best lard put the young lady to bed at once and prop her arm up a little i looked at my hand and found three parallel gashes across it for every edge of the weapon was keen but only one wound was deep viz that across the palm which was very deep under the thumb i have the mark of it still all the wounds were edged with a narrow yellow line inspector cutting i cried no power will move me from here until you promise not to steal my property stealing it is and nothing else you have no warrant and my information to you was wholly unofficial the last word seemed to move him they all like big words however clear-headed they are miss vaughan under these special circumstances i will promise what you require upon condition that you give me the accurate drawings for i see that you can make them certainly when my hand is well enough believe me i am deeply concerned at what has occurred but the fault was all your own how dare you obstruct the police but i wish some of my fellows had only half your spirit a little more experience and nothing will escape you come miss vaughan though you are a lady or rather because you are one give me your left hand in token that you forgive me i did so with all my heart i liked him much better since i had defeated him and i saw that it was well worth the pain for he would do his utmost to make amends he wished me good-night with a most respectful bow i will come and inquire how you are to-morrow miss vaughan patty quiet and coolness and change the lard frequently no doctor if you please and above all hold your queer little tongue never fear me uncle john you are right my good friend it is a little tongue but no queerer than my neighbours inspector cutting would have formed a far lower opinion of my spirit if he had seen how i cried that night not from the pain of the wounds i am sure but to think of the fuss dear mother would have made about them 
End of Book 2, Chapter 10